Welcome back to what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. I'm Vincent Lancey, speaker and author of the book Left for Dead, A Story of Redemption. Want to know what it's really like to be an entrepreneur? Well, you came to the right place. Whether you're already an entrepreneur or looking to start your journey tomorrow, or maybe just someone who needs a little extra motivation to get through the day, this is the perfect podcast for you. This is the place where you will learn exactly what it's like in the world of entrepreneurship and hear authentic stories of entrepreneurs grinding on each episode. My goal for this podcast is to help you realize that giving up is never an option. If you missed the last episode, be sure to download it after you tune in today. Before I introduce my guest, I'll share another entrepreneurial story to inspire you all. Today, I will introduce the story of Kevin O'Leary. And I know we all know him as Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, but I don't know if that many know his actual journey to get there. He was born in Canada and his life was very difficult as a child as both his parents ended up getting divorced and his father had died soon after. His mother then became the focal role model in his life for both overcoming obstacles and investing. I thought this article was unique to share because it discussed six of his biggest failures, so I thought it'd be great to teach you all from that. The first lesson came from when he was fired from his ice cream shop as a kid. He was not willing to scrape gum off the ground as he did not want to embarrass himself in front of his crush who was there. His lesson was from that moment on, he would never work from anyone else again and start his entrepreneurial journey. Lesson two, when he managed to graduate business school, despite having a case of dyslexia, he learned another valuable lesson. Quote, it, should not, it shouldn't be in any way diminish your self-esteem or be considered something that is going to hurt your chances to be successful at work or in life. I thought that was inspiring to share as many people are battling many things. Lesson three came when he hit his first big break. He started the company SoftKey in his basement, then acquired the learning company, took its name, and sold it to Mattel for $4 billion. Unfortunately, Mattel had a drop in stock, price, and earnings. He felt so bad for his employees that he had let them down, and quote, the greater lesson is not for every company can survive when acquisitions happen, success is not guaranteed, and even the best companies can get eaten up. That's the thing about business. It's very Darwinist. Lesson four, this is one of my favorites. It came when he had $2.5 million. He was handcuffed to a big corporation when trying to consolidate dating services into a subscription service. His lesson here was he is more likely to partner with small businesses and sell to conglomerates instead. Lesson five out of six came when he was close to divorce, but instead he recommitted. He's now he treats his marriage as if it were a business, as it requires equal effort and partnership and not to take it for granted. The last lesson I learned was lesson six. This is when he dropped out of the race for prime minister, and I had no idea about this. Here's a quote from this lesson to sum his story up. It would have been selfish to just go for the leadership and not to deliver the mandate he promised. I said, if I can't deliver a majority mandate, fire me. Smart investors know that would have been going for something out of self-interest with no regard for the numbers. Brian, what'd you like best about that story? I'm only allowed to pick one. Um, uh, there's no, a number please, out let's there. Let's talk about it. Yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, the last point entirely, um, is knowing that you're doing things for the betterment of the community, not just the betterment of yourself, and, and knowing that if you don't have the support of everybody behind you, that you're probably not going to get very far. And even tying into the point about his wife and recommitting to his marriage and how important it is to have that partner, to have that support system, and to really be fully committed. 
Um, and then the point with the, uh, the ice cream shop and saying you always want to work for yourself and understanding how hard that is and the trials and the tribulations and that it's not just an easy road and entrepreneurship is a, it's a very difficult thing, but making a conscious effort and saying that nobody else is going to get me down that, um, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. The voice you just heard is the sound of today's guest. I know I'm starting to sound repetitive to you all, but networking, networking, networking. My friend Alex from episode two or three, way early in the first season, says, Vince, I got another guy that does really great work. He is an enabler. He's an entrepreneur, he's a technologist, and certainly an efficiency expert. I don't want to give too much away his story. So let me introduce Mr. Brian Kornfeld. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Vincent, so much for having me. Uh, I appreciate being here. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur in the Tampa Bay market and in the state of Florida. Um, just thrilled to be a part of this. Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled to have you as well. Would you mind please previewing your story a bit before we hop into the questions and end up what you're working on today? Yeah. So uh, my story, and I mean, I have the five minute, the 15 minute, the 60 minute version of the story. I'll, I'll keep it short. Uh, I'm an aerospace engineer by background, born and raised in the Tampa Bay area. Um, but I'm not the prototypical engineer. Um, uh, I actually started to progress in my career because I can have um, very detailed human conversations and a little bit more of that business style versus uh, the traditional engineer style that most people are used to. Um, I started to uh, maneuver my way up, get into some project management, program management, and work through a couple of different companies when I realized that large company culture and I didn't get along overly well. Uh, it, I was really depressed, uh, honestly, internally for a long period of time. Um, I struggled. Um, I would go to work. I would leave work eight hours later. Sure, I would, I would take home a nice paycheck, but I was spending a third of my life empty. Uh, and just not accomplishing anything, feeling like I wasn't doing anything and just another cog in a wheel. Um, so I launched my first company in 2013. Around 2016, I started to uh, do a little bit of research in the Florida market, in Tampa Bay in particular, as to why it was falling behind entrepreneurially. And then finally had a little bit of stroke of good luck um, just in doing that research um, with two chance meetings. And, and you talk about networking, networking, networking. It's amazing what building a network can do. Um, I built one of my networks around the University of South Florida's um, executive MBA program. And one of the things that they do is have guest speakers the first Friday of every month. And alumni are always invited back. So it's April 1st, 2016, not an April Fool's joke. Mm -hmm. Jeff Vinnick, owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, founder of Water Street, and, uh, uh, which is a $3 billion real estate development alongside Bill Gates' Cascade Investment Fund, was speaking. And he... I went to go hear him talk about lightning and real estate. And what I didn't know is he was going to talk some about this idea of building an innovation hub and investing in innovation. And he asked uh, if anybody wanted to find a way to help, if they could contribute. So I told him I knew a lot about the area and that I wanted to help. He, his response was great. He gave me a card. I sent him an email a couple days later. He wrote back within an hour saying, let's have a meeting. My assistant's on coffee. To which my response in my head was, well, crap. Now I have to actually learn what I'm talking about here um, because I actually did not know what I was going to talk about. And he, I wouldn't say he called my bluff, but he challenged me to, to learn and study and research. So I started to learn everything I could, knowing that this was a really smart guy, a former hedge fund manager, um, and 
realize what we could do and what opportunities lie within innovation in this market. At the same time, in parallel, without me knowing, a gentleman named Mark Blumenthal was doing the exact same research, but from the uh, idea of uh, being an angel investor. He had taken over a group called Florida Funders. He started, he was trying to figure out why it was so inefficient. Mark and I um, came together because I went to summer camp with his son-in-law. And we started to have that conversation. We started to talk. We met at a 4th of July party over a couple of, uh, call it adult beverages um, and a barbecue. And it quickly bonded, quickly realized we were doing the same thing. We set up a 30-minute meeting for later that week. And that quickly turned into two hours on a whiteboard, which started thinking about how we could build and organize a community around innovation and innovators through the state of Florida. And really the secret sauce then came in when third co-founder Andy Hafer became a part of it because he really put this framework of a community together for us and really helped us. How do we build this? How do we grow this? How do we get people excited and engaged and not do something for us, but build this nonprofit that we can um, really connect people and really create these meaningful curated ways to uh, to get people engaged and tell people stories and talk about the great stuff that's going on and get the businesses involved here locally uh, and really help build this ecosystem from the ground up. I love that. I love how you're doing it for the greater good, kind of coincidental. I think that ties into the story, how we just said, not about we're doing it for the greater good. So that's great, Brian. What I do each episode, I do something called the big five. My guests and I go over these five questions each episode to help you the listeners learn what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. You ready to go? I'm ready. And I have not read these five questions, so I'm excited to hear them. <laughs> Great. Well, you may have touched how you felt a little unfulfilled driving the extra hours a day. When did you first realize? What was that moment when you said, I need a change. It's time to be an entrepreneur. Um, there was a number of them along the way. Um, I had a lot of ideas. Um, one of the biggest ideas that I had that, that I deeply regret, and it, it sticks with me, going back to 2008, um, I was in New York for a friend's wedding um, in New York City. I was living in L.A. at the time, so I'd taken a red eye in. I was walking around the city, just killing time, went to Central Park, did all the fun stuff. Um, and um, my friend texted me around 5 o'clock, said, hey, we got to get out to, uh, to the rehearsal dinner. Where are you? Why aren't you here yet? My response, and I, I wish I would have saved this, I think this was before screenshots were a thing, but I sent him a text message saying, I can't get a cab, I wish there was a way on my phone that I could point at a map, say, I'm here, taxi, come pick me up. And, oh, man. And so it's things like that that I just sit with and regret and realize there's so many opportunities out there for people who take them and who try, and a lot of times if you take those opportunities and you miss, you're in the status quo. You're, you're right where you are right now. And so as I then continued to build and grow and saw what it was like in a culture and, um, of a large company where I literally had executives take me aside saying, like, you're never going to make it here because you care too much. And uh, somebody at once in a meeting, I was trying to explain why something was wrong, which was not my fault in any way, shape or form, but something wasn't right. And I had a senior vice president of the company look at me and say, shh, be quiet. You're in timeout. The adults are talking. And, and I'm sitting there in my mid, like younger 30s. But as a manager of a $25 million software development, this is my boss's boss talking to me. It, it's not right. Like it, it's really difficult and that's really painful. 
Uh, and that's when I knew I had to take a little bit of, of life and matters into my own hands and push things forward. I love that. I mean, you, you saw it and you saw it now. Look at you. Good for you. Good for you. Um, what would you say one or two of the more difficult parts of being an entrepreneur? Now that you're on your own, you're not in that structured day. What do you find challenging? Um, that, everything. Uh, um, what, I usually uh, say there's a laundry list of items, so you could pick one or two off there. Well, well, there's a myth that entrepreneurship is this glamorous lifestyle, and you hear about all the people who do billion-dollar exits and sales and are buying private jets uh, and taking fancy vacations, but that's not the, the real life of an entrepreneur. At the real all. life of an entrepreneur is being scrappy trying to figure out how to make ends meet and how to push things forward and how to propel things. And I, I was blessed in, in a lucky situation where we were running a, a company that was funded from day one and having two co-founders who uh, thankfully very indebted to them were very thrilled to, to help fund this and get this off the ground and get started. Um, I would say building a team is hard. It's a lot of fun to do, and it's probably the most important thing. And also the realization that you need to build a team and that you can't do everything on your own and that filling out your weaknesses versus trying to improve upon them. And how do you find that balance? How do you find that right delegation? Um, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's a necessary challenge. And it's what helps companies go from being that one, two, three person company to being 10 people, 20 people and really scaling. Absolutely. I think it's important for everybody to realize that we all have our strengths and weaknesses and to let people help us in the areas where we are not as proficient can excel you. A lot of ways you look at things like the Patriots this year, you still have Tom Brady, but the team isn't there. The Yankees failing in the playoffs, you can have one or two stars, but if you don't have that community, like you're describing, I agree with you, man. Well, and it, it, it doesn't help when, uh, the team that beat the Yankees probably knew all the pitches that were coming in, but uh, oh, we, yeah. we don't have to talk about any bangs on the trash. Unfortunately, I am a Yankee fan, so we, that's a whole conversation I am willing to have. Well, I'm a Rays fan, and so we lost in the first round of the Astros, so I get it. It's really unbelievable. I mean, they got caught. But for you guys, everybody listening in, we're talking about uh, some baseball controversy where a team <laughs> may have cheated in the playoffs and they ended up winning the championship, which is called the World Series. but. The start of that story was to portray that you could have one star player, one star employee, one star in the organization, but if they're selfish or not enough team chemistry, you can't accomplish greatness. No, a hundred percent. And uh, chemistry and culture, you don't realize how important it is until you don't have it and you don't have it well. Uh, yeah. Teams can tear themselves apart from within very quickly. Couldn't agree more there. Let's uh, segue into what your greatest failure can be considered. Why did it stick with you? What is one of these greatest failures that's been with you over the years? Why did it shape you today? Uh, um, the first company that I launched was a colossal failure. Um, and, and I love talking about it. Great idea. Let's dive into it. What do we got? Yeah, so it, it's a great concept. It was a concept of a personalized recommendation engine. Uh, I actually credit the idea a lot to my wife. Um, it was something I knew I wanted to launch a business and I didn't know what I wanted to launch. We were about to go on vacation, go to Nashville, and she put a post on Facebook. And this was circa, you know, 2012, 2013. She, go, she put on Facebook, hey, go to Nashville. Where should we go eat dinners? What should we do? And I asked her, I was like, why, why are you putting that out there? And, and so and I saw, started to see this trend of people doing this. And it was before Facebook had the big 
recommendation, I'm searching for a, a model. Um, and she said, well, the general answers were from her and from everybody was two, two main things. One is I like getting comments and it's an easy way to get comments. And two is I trust my friends more than I trust the general public. I trust my friends more than I trust Yelp and TripAdvisor because they know me. They know the inside. They know what I would like and why I would like it. And so I wanted to build this idea of a personalized recommendation engine, a, a way for people to get immediate recommendations from friends or friends of friends, get into the second level in a push and pull mentality, a way that I can pre-populate recommendations and it'll show up when somebody searches for them or it'll show up on a home screen and somebody can say, oh yeah, Brian's looking for a steak restaurant in Tampa. I know he loves this and I know he loves whiskey. He should go to Burns. Burns is the right place for him to go. He can spend a little bit of extra cash. Why don't we send him there because he can have a great scotch and have a really good steak at the same time. Um, and then it would add to your stockpile of recommendations. So when the next person searched for a steak restaurant in Tampa, it would say X recommends Burns. I still like the idea. It yeah. failed for a couple of reasons. One is I had no clue with monetization, just how much you needed. And I, I went to the old, oh, we can put ads on that model. And, and that model is a, is a very antiquated model just based on the amount of users you need before you can get ads. Yeah. Two, the user experience sucked. It, it just was an awful user experience. I had no expertise in it whatsoever. It's the first time I had done anything like this. And three, I was trying to do it alone. I didn't want to build a team. I didn't want to build a core team. I didn't have a marketing person with me. I would have loved to have uh, to done that and to really bring on somebody who could really help me build and grow this type of a business and have have a marketing wing and really build that out um, or a sales team or something. Um, but I tried to do everything on my own and I just didn't have the push and the mentality and the bandwidth and all of that. So it, it went up in flames. Um, I learned, I pivoted from it and I, I took a lot of lessons away from it in terms of how to be successful. Um, it launched me into the career that I'm in now, but that was a, a complete failure that I just, I learned more from that than I learned from multiple years in a lot of corporate businesses. I'm very similar in the way that firsthand experience is something that sticks with me a little quicker and the experiences help mold me as well. I think it's important for everybody listening in to really grasp what he said, how he's describing his first business as a colossal failure, but he piggybacked and he learned from it rather than just throwing in the towel saying, this isn't even for me. Now he's happy. Now he's thriving. So I really appreciate that answer there. If you could choose to have a conversation and learn from any entrepreneur, we're talking dead or alive, who would it be? What's the conversation like? Are you having a scotch and steak? Describe the scene for us. Oh my God. Um, wow. Uh, give me a second to think about this one because there, there's names that come to mind right away, um, but there's other names behind the surface that probably I would care to listen to a little bit more. Um, There's one name and you know, he actually stands out for me a little bit. Um, and I've actually met him. I had a meet and greet, but I've never, I didn't have a full on in-depth conversation. And I would love to talk to him about building a brand. I would love to talk to him about lifestyle and how to create that brand lifestyle, how you tell that story with your brand and you truly go by it and you live it. And it's gonna be an off the wall name, but uh, Jimmy Buffett. Um, oh, it, that's it, the first. It, that's the first of the show. 
They're it? very different. And I have met him. My wife and I actually did our pregnancy announcement as a picture with him. Um, as we had twins and we made a shirt that said twin to the left, twin to the right to take off of his spin to the left, spin to the right. And got rid of it. Um, it was a really cool experience, but he's built such a brand. Uh, I mean, and made himself worth nine figures plus just based on this concept of, of the lifestyle of being out on the beach and having a beer and having a good cheeseburger and uh, relaxing and good music. But if you actually listen to his lyrics and listen to his poetry and look at what he's met, built up and how hard he has worked to do this, written books, continually touring, continually writing new albums and new music. Um, it's a I lot of hard work it. that's got, gotten him to where he is. It would be a lot of fun to hear about the, some of those early days and some of the trials and tribulations and, and diving into some of the music lyrics um, I mean, he actually, he, there's a song that he has from the 80s or 70s even called You'll Never Work in His Business Again, which talks about all the time that he spent traveling, going around to bars with just his one guitar and people telling him, you're never going to be a professional musician. Uh, and it's kind of his stick it right in their face type song. Um, having that conversation about business with him, I think would be a lot of fun. That would be a great one. Based off that answer, I, I could have to agree with you. Let's take a look into the future here, Brian. We're talking one in five years. We're recording this at the end of January 2020. So 2021, one year from today, what are we seeing from Brian? Um, I think we're seeing more of what we've been seeing in terms of this enablement with Synapse. I, I think Synapse... As an organization, it's really here to be an enabler and to be a guide for the community. And we're a small group, a couple of people here. And if we take this small group and this amazing team that we have built, and I still thank them all the time, they're so great. Um, and think about how they enable others. They enable the innovators to innovate and get the right resources and to grow and what that could mean and enabling them to help others enable and build. You can't tell me that there's any possibility out there that's not feasible. Uh, I mean, you think of taking a, somebody who might be doing something and how they could do something that makes a lot of money, and that money could go to research, and that research could fund curing cancer. It, it's, yep. there's nothing, there's no possibility that's out there. So I would like to see a couple of those wins take place and, and see that community continue to build, uh, whether it's Tampa Bay or the state of Florida, um, start to see a little bit more of those sales, start to see a little bit more of uh, growth stage companies. Um, and then for me, it helps in terms of the business. I can help take that next step and help really push the envelope and continually build this community across the state and really start to get more people engaged. More people who get engaged, the value just continues to raise exponentially. Absolutely. There's already a ton of value there. So let's look at the five years, man. How big are we getting? Is there something else that's going on? Um, so if we, if we look five years, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. We're still figuring this out a little bit. Um, I could see this being around Florida. I could see this being a little bit bigger than Florida. I mean, we're doing something, even though there's other community building organizations, we're looking at it from a different approach. There's no real lack or limit of geography other than what we have started out, set out to accomplish, which is connect Florida engage Florida, organize Florida. Uh, and in five years, depending on how we're doing there and how that critical mass is, could we be beyond it? Could we be in the Southeast? Could we be national? Could we be international? It's a hard question to answer. Um, 
but I see a lot of big things coming from this organization and that I see this being potentially one of those big networks that has a good effect for everybody. I'm looking forward to seeing it evolve, Brian. Thanks so much for your episode today. I know our listeners can see all the value in your episode. I really enjoyed the failure story. I enjoyed almost, I really enjoyed everything, but the way you kind of resonated with everybody listening in, I know that's going to go a long way. So I thank you for that. This is time for the last word. I do this on every episode. Is there something you want to share with your listeners that we didn't get to touch on today? Yeah. uh, One of the biggest things that we do um, is our summit where everybody comes together and it's it's a two-day event where we get everybody under one roof. We have a great time, over 100 sessions, some great keynote speakers, over 300 exhibitors. It's an experience not to be missed. It's our version uh, of CES, South by Southwest. Uh, it's really that flagship. Um, what is it? It's the Synapse Summit, February 11th and 12th at Amelie Arena in Tampa, Florida. Yes, we take over a hockey arena for two days, and we make it something awesome. Uh, it, it really, like, all of your friends are going to be there. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss it. Go to synapsesummit.com and, uh, so you can see more, learn more, and you can really get engaged with the community. That's great. It was just about time for me to ask for your social media website or ways for our listeners to either request your services or at least follow that journey. So please go ahead and share that. Uh, Once again, either synapsefl.com, synapsefl.com or synapsesummit.com is the best way to get engaged with us or follow us anywhere at at synapsefl. Um, and, And please, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to having you all as a part of this community. Absolutely. I'll be sure to share those links in the bio for your episode. Uh, Be sure to check out all that social media websites and don't miss that summit. Make sure you check out the show on Instagram and Facebook at your favorite morning podcast and on Twitter at Podcast by Lancey. Of course, my handles are at Vincent A. Lancey on all social media and YouTube. And my website is VincentALancey.com. Make sure to grab a copy of my book, Left for Dead, A Story of Redemption on Amazon now. But DM me or email me. I want to hear what you think. If you enjoyed today's episode, please continue listening and rate what it's really like to be an entrepreneur five stars. I work very hard to find value delivering stories for you on each episode. And as always, I will end the show with a quote that inspired me and know it will for you too. This one is from Shirag Kulkarni, founder of Taco. Said it's very important for entrepreneurs to look for people in the company who are not afraid of failures. For example, entrepreneurs. They make a business more successful by thinking like an entrepreneur, but within a company. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you all in the next episode of what it's really like to be an entrepreneur.